Hello and welcome once again to the Spotlight on Sports. We're joined by our Hume's favourite Hume City goalkeeper, Jordan Franken, once more as we discuss the remarkable run of the Bulldogs and Sharks in the AFL and NRL finals. We'll look at some other stunning victories in the world of sports and preview the rest of the summer's sport for the big season of cricket and, of course, the A-League. To start, guys, wasn't that uh, a win for the ages for the Bulldogs? Yeah, that was an absolutely terrific game, Chris. Um, It was close all the way through, obviously, which made it really exciting. The crowd was just fantastic, brilliant atmosphere. Supporters for both sides were making a lot of noise throughout the match. Like, it really was only in the last five minutes or so that uh, the dogs actually started to pull away and get to a lead that the Swans couldn't catch up with. So, like you said, it was close all the way through and there were some clutch moments for either side, but the Bulldogs just had more hunger for it, I think. Yeah, the Bulldogs were just superb in the last quarter. I don't, I, they they seem to just be play like men possessed in that in that term. I mean, they played well throughout the game, but the last term it just seemed like Sydney just couldn't get the ball clear of, out out of defence. Every time it looked like they might, there was a bulldog there smothering or tackling. They were just fierce. And Sydney made a late comeback in the end of the second quarter, but really the game was always in the Bulldogs' control. There was there wasn't a point during the game where I thought, well, Sydney's in a position here to overtake the Bulldogs on the during the game and, and and be a potential grand final winner because when Buddy went down in the first quarter, it, it just didn't load up from there. You're uh, you're laughing off mic there, Chris. Is it? Yeah, I mean, like, even if you look at some of the things for the Bulldogs, Jake Stringer didn't have a good game all game. All of a sudden, one clutch moment, and he's practically sealed the game for the Dogs. So, terrific effort, I guess, even those that didn't really perform as well as they could have for the Dogs stood up in the right moments. And I think that's the key point. Like I always get fascinated by that watching the big contests of looking for those key clutch moments when the big players step up. And the play that I think turned the game for me was when Buddy Franklin got tackled in the middle. He would have been called for holding the ball. They played advantage. Tom Boyd gets the ball and kicks a goal beyond 50. That was then the catalyst for the breakaway for the Bulldogs. And at that point, it was only one point ball game. So... That particular moment for me was massive, and even I got uplifted having no affiliation to the dogs whatsoever. In terms of moments for me, the other way around, for Sydney where I thought, like I was getting a bit nervous for the dogs when Buddy got them close late in the last quarter, but, you know, as you said, Andrew, they showed control even at the last quarter because, as you said, they're playing like men possessed. But I did get a bit worried for them when Buddy kicked that late goal. And then, so, Jordan, if Tom, that to me, I agree, that was the moment of the game where Buddy got tackled and Tom Boyd kicked that long goal. So when it comes to man of the match, do you think Tom Boyd was more deserving than, than Johannesson? Well, see, I agree. I think Johannesson was the easy selection. Now, in terms of that, it's because he accumulated the most possessions on the field. Yeah. And the accumulator will always get the nod I find in these type of um, vote these votes, but if you look at his disposals, he was very ineffective, especially in uncontested situa- situations. He was ineffective in finding the bulldog shirt, whereas Tom Boyd had an influence across all four quarters in key pivotal moments. I mean, another person who did that I think was Liam Picken, who st- stepped up in the final quarter, kicked two crucial goals, but. 
I don't think you can give a Norm Smith medal for just one quarter of performance. I think Tom Boyd deserved it across the four quarters. But uh, you can see why Johannesson gets the vote because he's getting a lot of the ball. He's seen a lot. And I thought he was the Johannesson. I thought he was here. He was the the easy pick as well because he he's got the speed. He's the excitement player. He's the one. Tom Boyd's doing the hard work, and and it's not exactly uh, something that is is noticeable by fans. Uh, so yeah, I would have picked Tom Boyd as well over Johannesson. Think about it. Tom Boyd misses that shot after the buddy tackle. It's still only a two point game, and the Swans think, "Oh, we've been let off the hook here. Let's make the most of it." Just from a mentality side of things. Whereas when the Swans see their best player, their marquee man getting tackled like that in the middle and then kicking a long-range effort and the crowd getting up after that, that's when their heads would have gone. Massive, massive moment. Yeah, Joe, I guess Joe Henderson just catches the eye with his runs. And his hair. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's pretty eye-catching, isn't it, John? I, I, I tend to agree with both of you guys in general that Johannesson, there might have been a pick with Boyd or even Liam Pickham to take Norm Smith instead. But if you look at some of the players from the final series altogether, Johannesson, great against Sydney, great against GWS, good against West Coast uh, as well. So he had been one of the standout for the Dogs overall, only maybe not for the finals, for the actual grand final itself. But if you look at the Bulldogs' performance for the finals overall, he was pretty spectacular. And Andrew was saying last week his favourite moment of the game in that thrilling game I don't think anyone will forget when they played GWS in the prelim was Johannesson's spectacular run for goal. Yeah, yeah, that one where he set up the goal with a spectacular run. Yeah, yeah. That, that he was moving at an amazing uh, pace for that one, yeah. Our viewers might remember from last week we did have Luke Darcy on for a chat over the phone and he mentioned that the key for the dogs to get stay in this game is to keep Sydney close and run their defence really well in the first quarter and just make up for all of the efforts that they've done defensively because that was their hallmark. And they did. They kept it close. They stopped Sydney from free scoring as they'd done in the finals that they'd won previously. And Sydney was nullified in the first quarter because in Sydney's two games leading into the grand final, in that first quarter they scored a combined 14 goals. And then in the grand final here, the Western Bulldogs win them to just two in the first quarter. So Not that's only where that, it was they also one. got in front one, as well. Actually, so. I think, wasn't it? One, one, two to two goals straight, I think, at yeah. quarter time. Eight to 12 in points terms, yeah. So they'd done really well defensively. They kept themselves in the game. And I guess from a Sydney perspective, whoops, last Unless, quarter and we're still behind. It kind of caught up with them. Yeah, just on that, from the Sydney perspective, um, you were talking before about the grand finals or through the whole final series, Johannesson's performances. One man as well, it's interesting, with the new Gary Ayres Award for the best finals player, Josh Kennedy. For me, he was the man of the match during that game. He got, I think, two or three goals, over 20 possessions, and he was the only man who looked like up to the task for the Sydney Swans. And I think even if he pulled a Judd and received the Norm Smith medal being on the losing team, I think it would have been justified. I think his performance was outstanding, especially in that game, but also through the final series. Judd was the last guy from a losing team. That was obviously when he was playing for West Coast, and that was in the 2005 final where the opponent was Sydney. So, Although we did have Lenny Hayes picking up a Norm Smith in the 2010 grand final in the, the draw and won. 
Yeah, well, I guess you can't really split. You can can't really see whether that's a win or a loss. It's just a drawn grand final. Yeah, to be honest, I didn't actually know that they awarded the Norm Smith for a draw. I just assumed they were going to award it the next week, so it took me a bit by surprise <laughs> when they did. They probably didn't know either. Yeah, he's pretty lucky to get a Norm Smith in a drawn game. I'd just like to add an interesting, funny quote that actually I saw at halftime during the grand final this weekend. Um, it was, not even Lee Harvey Oswald would be able to stop Jay Kennedy today for all those US history nuts. And let's and taking it back to the Bulldogs team, this is the first team to have won a grand final without any players with grand final experience since 1967. I mean, that's, that was and the not going into them for the grand well, final. the only team to have ever won from seventh position on the ladder. Uh, the second team to have ever won from seventh position on the ladder, the other one being Adelaide, when the final system was different as well. It was, certainly was. And to think that this buy round before the finals, that definitely contributed to getting the Western Bulldogs this far. Otherwise, you don't get... Otherwise, the likelihood of a team making it this far is significantly decreased. Just you don't have Easton Wood and Stringer and some of the other guys coming back from injury for that big West Coast game over in uh, WA. Yeah, I agree. The buy was definitely a major factor. But the other thing is, what did, what did people think of the umpiring in the grand final? I generally prefer not to make comments about umpires, especially in a sport where I don't know the technicalities of the rule. So I'll leave that one to you, Andrew. Uh, I thought that the Bulldogs had a bit of good fortune with the umpiring, but... Overall, I mean, they played very well and the, the win was deserved. I don't think there was any key moments really that you can directly put down to the blame of the umpires and that turned the match. I think generally the game was down to the fortune of the players. And Jordan, just for your Sharks boys, they took the first points of the NRL Grand Final with a penalty. Ended up winning really, really close by two points. That those were absolutely huge penalty points to put on the board. So, in the end, the right option to go for the two. And before we get to that, let's let's before we start the in depth NRL Grand Final chat. How about we start with the winning team's theme song? Up, up for the boys in the black, white, and blue. Yes, and let's talk about that grand final, Chris. Yeah, Jordan, the Sharks opted for penalty points to start off the game very early on. And having only one by two, how important was that going for the two to kick off the game? Because they know Melbourne, the best defensive team in the league, points are hard to come by. Oh, absolutely. And the thing about Melbourne, they're very good leaders. Once they get a lead on you, they're very, very hard to peg back. With the experience they have in their team, their time-wasting tactics, the, uh, the wrestling that they bring, they, look, you can't disgrudge them for it because it's very professional and they know how to get the job done. So it was critical that Cronulla got the first points on the board and got a buffer. I think the 8-0 the lead at halftime wasn't enough, and I said that at halftime. And during the game, it looked to be that way as, the Cronulla, uh, sorry, as Melbourne got themselves back into that match. 
But, I mean, the unbelievable final try by Fafita, really. Like, I, I think it might have been Ray Warren, and he didn't exactly say it directly in those words, but he was certainly implying when he was going on and on about Melbourne are such good leaders. Melbourne are such good leaders. They're so good when they're in front that kind of, all right, 10, 15 minutes to go, this is Melbourne's game now because they're in front and they'll surely stay that way. And it was. They're ahead by two with 10 minutes to go. It's And you have to look to Cameron Smith, Cooper Cronk to close that out. Just didn't happen for them. Andrew Fafita try was the key moment. And, and you look back at the Raiders, they're only just up three minutes to go and the Raiders are really pushing for that last try, but Melbourne have nerves of steel and can keep them out for the final final charge. This time, not not so much. Much well, to your delight, Jordan. The conditions, I think, played a fact in the Sharks being able to get over the storm in the grand final and not the Raiders getting over the storm earlier in the finals because the Raiders were playing in wet conditions. They had a couple of injuries, significant injuries, which limited their star players, less so than what Cronulla had playing with against the Storm in the grand final. And, and, and they're in your, front of the home crowd. That's a massive difference. And the, it's one of your very well-founded beliefs, Jeff, that Melbourne Storm are a much better team playing in wet conditions than when it's dry and there's lots of points on offer. Well, they're not really a better team with the wet weather, but it, it gives them an advantage over most teams in the NRL because they all... They handle the wet better than that's most right, teams. That's right. And I guess it, it makes it harder for the other team to play that adventurous style and throw the ball around a lot. Because that's what destroys Melbourne. And when it starts raining, teams go, oh, can't be as expansive. We'll drop the ball. Melbourne will put pressure on it. Melbourne will have the ball and they won't let it go. But uh, that's that's that rain sort of forces the opponents to change their tactic, which fits the storm. On that point, Jordan, as a Sharks fan and someone who's followed them, obviously, for quite a while, do you think that having defence versus that massive attacking style played into Cronulla's hands a bit? Uh, I think our attacking style for sure won us the, the, the league overall, I think. I mean, we went 15 games unbeaten. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, well, that of course, remind that, us of that. Yeah. Well, it, it doesn't happen by chance, and that's where the foundations are built. If you have trust in that system and it, over such a long period of time, when it comes to the clutch moments, you back yourself yeah. to do it. So and, you might have tailed away a bit, you know, towards the end of the season or mid-season, but then, you know, go back to your base, go back to your fundamentals. What got us those 15 wins in a row is going to get us through finals. And especially losing that minor premiership playoff against the Storm in Melbourne, that stilled them, I think, because there was, there was something left in the tank there and um, a burning desire to do one over the Storm. And they got the opportunity in the grand final and they took it with a plot. I mean, even with Melbourne's very good defence on the day, with that, in that first half, they were absolutely peppered. It should have been 20-0. But... The fact that Melbourne kept themselves in the game, got themselves ahead. For Cronulla to then still persist with their plan, stick to that, the game actions, and get over the top was incredible. And two things that haven't really been mentioned in that game, and I think show what a great performance it was from the Cronulla Sharks, two, Melbourne's two best players, Cooper Cronk and Cameron Smith. Cameron Smith was forced to make 73 tackles. There's only two players in NRL history who have tackled more than that in a game. So what you've done is you made him, you've given him this massive workload, wow. and when it comes to attack, creating the points for Melbourne, took Cam Smith right out of it. He was breathless, and then Cooper Cronk, pressured with kicks all game, went about six sets in a row in the first half without getting a fifth tackle kick. It was up to Blake Green, and him on his own, Blake Green on his own, isn't going to win you a grand final. So what they did was they took the two best players out of the game and they won it. With Smith too, I heard him joking 
when he was asked about the number of tackles he had to lay after the game, that, that felt like the first half alone when they got, took, gave him the number. It was, and and let's go. Back, let's talk about the uh, the post match reaction of of the players. The cameras always get on the field seconds after the final sirens has gone, and and one of the players they first went up to was Paul Gallon, and here's what he had to say at full time. I can't tell you how proud I am of these blokes, Jerry. Three weeks ago, I was in hospital, I couldn't walk. I watched them like big camera. I was crying in my lounge. I was just so proud of them. And what they did again tonight, oh my God, they are the best bikes I've ever had they are so good. And Jordan, seeing Paul Gallon like that, is that, in terms of seeing people celebrate, was Gallon one of the guys you really wanted to see in such a jovial mood? Oh, absolutely. I mean, what he's been through at that club, in particular, I think the, with the drug scandal that hit the club a few years back, he was the figurehead for that during that period. He went through so much of it. I mean... For me, the the key pivotal image for me was Gallon and E.T. Uh, hugging after the game, practically in tears. Now, you've got two of the biggest blokes who've graced rugby league there, almost sobbing like babies. But you just saw in that image the you know how much it meant to them. Like Gallon said, the reason why that particular moment, seeing E.T. on the pitch, melt, meant so much to him, because he was the reason why he chose the Cronulla Sharks to move to. It was those guys there when they had the best forward pack in the game and such a home advantage. That was the reason he moves to the Sharks. To have that history there and then to have 49 years as a club being, you know, the bridesmaids, to finally crack it was just an outpouring emotion. And you can hear it in his voice from the fatigue, but then also the passion. And now we have as well a reaction from Andrew Fafita. Paul Gallen was in a in a quite unbelievable mood. Andrew Fafita was in a different way after the, the full-time siren. I'm lost for words, mate. You know, on the biggest stage and just to score the winning try, mate, but just to equal it, to be honest, that Jimmy done the rest. Um, look, like you said, it's better than Lego. It didn't sound as much as interesting or as excited as Paul Gallen was. Maybe that's just the way Fafita is naturally. But right at the end there, he said, winning the grand final was better than Lego. And, and he was talking to Andrew Johns at the time, this audio all courtesy of Channel 9. Uh, but it was actually Matty Johns that said that, and, and Joey was quick to correct him. So if you don't even know what that is, better than Lego, where's that coming from? It's from Matthew Johns after he won the 1997 grand final for Newcastle. Tell us what that feeling was like coming home to Newcastle last night. Um... It was better than uh, it was better than Lego. It was better than Lego. It was better than Lego. So there it is. It's it's a classic bit of audio. That uh, nineteen years old still is a classic. That was audio. Thanks to Fox Sports. Yeah, Fafita. He just it, there's nothing normal about Fafita, is there? He's he's just a character that is always doing something that's that's unexpected. And a lot of the time, the ex- unexpected is negative. And luckily for the Sharks, on the night, the unexpected was brilliant. The, the, to be able to evade four tacklers and then get over the line still was massive. But there's always the feeling with Fafita, what's he going to do next? Oh, no, here we go again. And I think that's why he hasn't oh, it's clear, been clear in the media and through Meninga and uh, Thurston and such likes that why he has been snubbed for a kangaroo's shirt. That's a massive argument we can get. That that needs 10 minutes in itself. Yeah, we do need to wrap up on this, guys. But you are talking about emotion. You are talking about, you know, adrenaline and delight and just all this energy just 
outpouring from these boys that haven't had a premiership at all, I, in my opinion, seem to be a bit of a contrast to the Bulldogs because the Bulldogs it was more wasn't necessarily adrenaline and emotion. The emotion was more exhaustion. Oh my goodness, four finals in a row. We finally got there. It, it feels like this year's taken ages, and I think as much as like raw emotion and happiness that they'd got there, like quiet happiness, it was as much of that as exhaustion of this has taken every ounce of energy that we have, and we're just going to celebrate this and in in almost reflective mode. I think you can hear from the the voices of Gal and Fafita how tired they were after that game. There's deep, heavy breathing, but I just think overall, what a year of fairy tales it's been. I mean, you've had the Sharks after 49 years. You've had the Bulldogs over 60 years. But then you also looked at Uzbuch. You look at 101 winner in the Melbourne Cup in Prince of Penzance. You've had the West Indies in the cricket. You've also had Leicester City in the English Premier League coming from 5,001 odds. I mean, it's quite incredible, really. What, what was that you were referring to with yeah. the West Indies? I thought you'd be talking about Sri Lanka's 2020, in. was it? The 2020 yeah, 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 World yeah, yeah, Cup. Yeah, 2020 I'm talking to. about. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. The yep. 2020 World Cup was, uh, yeah, the West Indies, four sixes in a row to uh, make Ben Stokes cry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I can remember um, just having a look at social media the day after that and the amount of jokes about what's four times four, Ben Stokes, and the emotion that he must have felt knowing that he'd been responsible for England losing a game they looked like certain of winning in the last over. But also, yeah, let's not forget um, Sri Lanka's win 3-0 from seventh place position, beating the number one team in the world. I'm afraid I've already forgotten that. (laughs) Anyone else remember anything like that? (laughs) Must have been playing a video game or something. (laughs) And just uh, as we hear from Jordan complaining about my bias let's hear some more complaints from him with it makes no frankincense right there's something that's been growing in my gears it has for a few years but this year it's come into the light can i throw out a guess before you start oh here we go yep sure would it be would it be to do with airlines and charging of prices for trips to grand final destinations no but i tell you what that does my head in as well (laughs) why school holidays means that you can ramp up prices during a grand final week absolutely does my nothing they're actually, do you know what? Yeah, that's it. We're going to pick that topic today. Right. So the fact that no, in Perth, there is not a single NRL team, yet prices are still jacked up for flights to the game in Sydney is ludicrous. Okay? Okay, yes, I understand if it was Melbourne flights. Yes, I understand if it was even coming from Newcastle. It was coming from Queensland. From Perth, there should be no reason whatsoever to be charging extra price for that. All right, I've had my go on that one. The eligibility requirements in the AFL for receiving a premiership medal. So Bob Murphy was the big story this week and the fact that he wasn't entitled to a premiership medal because the rules are that you have to be playing on the day in the Select 22. That is utterly ridiculous. The amount of effort that goes into an entire season to get you to a grand final to play a game should entitle you, if you had a significant contribution, to be considered a premiership player. Bob Murphy is a typical example, and he gets a lot of headlines because he was the captain, the heartbeat, and soul. But let's look at another massive example of when this occurred. Tony Modra, 1997, Adelaide Crows. 90 goals in a season, wins the Coleman medal, All-Australian. Undeniably a massive factor in that team making the final. Does his ACL in the prelim final. Isn't considered a premiership player under the AFL history. I, I don't even care about the medal. It's the fact that you are considered a premiership player 
is the title. That's why Luke Beveridge gives away his medal because he knows I don't care about it. It's just a piece of medal. At the end of the day, I've got the title of a premiership winning coach. Tony Modger doesn't allow that. Bob Murphy won't go down as a premiership winning captain. He should be. But then the hypocrisy of it in the waffle, when you've got Peel Thunder fielding 56 different players in a season. And the reason for that, and they went on to win the premiership, was because in the final series, they played all their AFL-listed players. Now, Peel is considered a feeder club to the Fremantle Dockers. Of their squad for the final series, 17 were AFL-listed players. In their grand final team, only two players, their captain and one other, were actually involved in their regular season fixtures. Subiaku were the dominant team all season. As much as I dislike them being a West Perth fan, the fact that they are all 17 of those AFL players are then considered Waffle Premiership players is a disgrace. How do they get away with that, though? Because, I mean, in the VFL, for instance, as a case in point, there's an eligibility requirement in terms of you have to have played a certain number of games during the home and away season, unless your AFL team's still in, in the finals. You can't play in the finals for the VFL. Now, with, I'm not sure on the technicalities of it, but it was perfectly legitimate through the laws to be playing that many AFL listed players. And I think there'd be some requirements, I know in the reserve grades there are, for as long as you're on the match day list, you're considered to have played in that match, in that extended squad. So all you need to do is just put the name on the list and never actually turn up even to the game, and you're considered eligible. They were able to have 17 AFL listed players but then, and then all considered premiership winners, but then you have people involved in the entire season who aren't considered that. It makes it makes, makes a farce of the competition, really. Oh, absolutely. It makes no frankincense. I'm with all. you. I'm with you. Well, just on the complete opposite of that, look at the um, Ashes series in 2005. Every player getting a member of the British Order and Warney sledging in the next Ashes series. You got an MBE, right? For scoring 17 runs, that's an embarrassment. And then when England was collapsing in the 2006-07 series, the series afterwards where they lost 5-0, England had just gone four for something ridiculous. And the ground announcer says, welcome to the crease, Paul Collingwood, MBE. So basically that's just the complete opposite of what you were talking about. People getting these sorts of awards for basically doing nothing because they were part of the team once and on the one test that they played didn't do anything just the thing though with the, with the medals for the premiership medals i mean I, I tend to agree with jordan that people who have contributed throughout the season deserve one of those medals because i mean the fact is that something that that some of those people did who can't actually play in the grand final may have actually contributed to the fact that the sides got there in the first place oh absolutely so. ling jong this year for example and you can't Injury. argue of course bob murphy even when he's not there he's a spiritual leader so of course uh, bob murphy contributed a lot can we give him an mba <laughs> i don't know whether the queen will be quite up for that she probably doesn't know who bob murphy and is probably doesn't know what afl is <laughs> to be fair <laughs> mr abbott's gone now so the chance of the knighthood's disappeared for now well <laughs> If the, Mr. Abbott's gone, the knighthood's probably going to go to an actual Australian the next time it goes. <laughs> <laughs> Rather than someone who's already, already royalty. But we're getting off the topic there, I guess. Of course, the Bulldogs win was huge and the Sharks finally breaking their premiership draft. But there have been some other big stories recently in sport and over the great sporting history, but none bigger recently than... Uh, 
Leicester, of course, 5,000 to 1 odds. It's a terrific victory for them when they finally got there. And even, you know, some of the sentimental elements involved Mark Schwarzer playing for those guys as a, as a goal. Actually, there's another eligibility question there. <laughs> Mark Schwarzer sits on He's the off bench. again. No, but he sits on the bench for the entire season. Contribute absolutely contributes to training. I mean, you can't play a game without two goalkeepers. I mean, maybe I'm just sounding like a disgruntled number two here, but you know, <laughs> <laughs> the thing is, you're, you're absolutely a part of the team. He wasn't eligible. For, he doesn't receive a premiership medal from the league because he didn't appear in five matches. There are no, he did. No, he didn't receive oh, okay. one. Lester got got one made for him specially for it. That's what I'm he saying. wasn't actually officially awarded one of the medals because he doesn't make five appearances, which in soccer is quite ludicrous that you think a number two would be making those many appearances, especially in a title-winning team when a goalkeeper is such a core foundation. So maybe it's not just the AFL that uh, have got eligibility requirements. There's a... Grinds my gears across all sports. I hadn't actually realised that there was that requirement because I remember at the time people were mentioning, oh, they'll probably bring him on in the last game so that he's eligible. Oh, well, that, it, wasn't, it, it wasn't for the medal. What they are, the, that kind of petition was for, because if he'd made any appearance whatsoever, he would have become the oldest ever Premier League player. Because he's over 43 now, he would have broken Brad Friedel's record. And so that was the sentimental argument behind that. But the reason why he wasn't played was because of... Casper Schmeichel needed one more clean sheet to get the Golden Glove Award. And if he'd got it the week before, Schwarzer would have played. Because he didn't receive it the week before, they conceded one, I think, against Tottenham. He then played Schmeichel um, and didn't bring him on. You've really had some fantastic success stories there. You've got Schwarzer, Schmeichel, Jamie Vardy playing himself into the England side. Just really wouldn't have imagined it because the year before, uh, that close to relegation. And then they made the... Premier League and just it's unbelievable rags to riches kind of story. And rags to riches were some of the fans. You know, the fans of Leicester, they the start of the season, you just put $10 bet on them to win the Premiership just because it's your team and you support them and you don't think they're likely to win it, but you just do it anyway out of love of your club. And at 5,000 to 1 odds, $10 turns well, you from rags to riches. Actually, the story about that is um, someone was asking... Tom Hanks, how are you feeling? Aston Villa is his club. They're not in the race for the title this year. He said, oh, I'm not feeling too bad because I had 100 quid on Leicester. And it was like, 100 quid? What? Why would you put $100 on 5,001 odds? And as he's been pressed on the uh, question Something more tells more, me Tom Hanks isn't too concerned about $100. As he's been questioned more and more <laughs> on, the, on the thing, maybe I did, maybe I didn't, and then he's pressed more and more, fine, I didn't do it. <laughs> Yeah. I'm just making that up. Maybe so. he left all his money behind on the island in Castaway, John. <laughs> yeah. I think he's just looking for a bigger island to upgrade to fit yeah. it all on. Well, $100 at $5,001, almost buy you an island. Yeah, that was, uh, that was a fantastic story. And keeping with the soccer theme just for a little while, we got um, Greece as well, 2004 in the Euros. No one expected that. That was and, um more traditionally, they've been a more defensively based team. I was going to say, I think they sent everyone to sleep except for the Greeks, didn't they? <laughs> but it was a good effort, though. Uh, gets whatever gets the job done. I'm a big fan of that. Uh, do all tactics required to get yourself a result? Well, I suppose it's not dissimilar to the um, the Storm tactics. Very defensively minded. Well, or, or St Kilda at one stage a few years back. The thing no, no, the- sorry. We're talking about teams that have actually won something. <laughs> <laughs> oh, listen, listen to the shark biting now. 
<laughs> cold water, please. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I shouldn't have been going for the underdog the other night. <laughs> the funniest thing is, though, that Andrew is probably the only one alive out of us <laughs> when St Kilda won their last premiership. Yeah, Chris has been giving me a pretty hard time about these things about my age, even before we got on air. Absolutely. You should hear what I have to go through in the studio. I'm surprised you can hear it all with your hearing aid turned out. (laughs) (laughs) How can you see where it is under my headphones here, Jordan? Well, we're all definitely old enough to remember early this year, the 2016 NBA Finals. It was the Cleveland Cavaliers who won it, and they became the first team ever to win the finals in a seven-game series, recovering from a 3-1 deficit, which now makes LeBron James a a three-time champion, and this one arguably meant the most to him. It's over! It's over! Cleveland is a city of champions once again! The Cavaliers are NBA champions! Cleveland's long sports nightmare has ended. The drought is over. 52 years... Time to celebrate a title and the emotions for LeBron James, who delivers on his promise to come home and bring a championship to his beloved hometown. And how similar is that to Cronulla? 52 years, 49 years, a franchise that hasn't won an NBA title, a whole city of Cleveland that hadn't won any professional sporting cup for about 30, 40 years. And, and it's all happened in the same year. This has definitely been a two or three year period with lots of drought breaking wins. I can remember a couple of days before that final in the car with my dad listening to 3AW. 3AW, their football chat show. Why on earth, under any circumstances except this extreme one, would they discuss NBA? Even they were discussing the NBA finals. They probably got no idea who LeBron James was prior to this year. And they're saying this could be a serious defining moment in his career depending on whether he can actually get the Cavaliers over the line to beat Golden State here. And like, if you've got guys who specialise in AFL, AFL and more AFL, talking about your NBA career and saying that winning this game is going to be massive for your defining your career, that's, that's something special, I reckon. And then can I throw up uh, NRL 2006 State of Origin Series? New South Wales were on a three-game winning streak and then something truly magical happened. The Blues slow to get back into the line. So what happens is, that sorry, is sorry, I've just napped off for the last 30 seconds. What? No need to remind me. Just move on with back. the program. Let's see what happens. I thought I saw your eyes sort of twitching a bit during that, that recording there, Jordan. Takes a while to get over. It ends a three-game New South Wales winning streak in the Origin Series and starts an unprecedented eight-year in a row. Queensland dominance and 10 of the last 11 series. So, sorry, Jordan, to bring that one back up in your uh, grand final parade week. Team. We stopped you getting the 10. That's all that matters. 2014, just a blip blip on the horizon of Queensland wins. Um, there, I'm afraid, Jordan, I have to side with Jeff on that one. No, we just blipped out that whole eight years, don't we? Just move on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And speaking of moving on, plenty of action of cricket this summer. So, we start off, of course, with... This one-day series has been wrapped up 3-0 by the South Africans. Unfortunately, in the overnight, in overnight, scoring 
372 to chase. Their batsmen have been on fire this series. Particularly David Miller playing with injury to notch up uh, Killer Miller, as they call him. Killer Miller. He notched up, what was it, 118 runs? 117. 117 uh, runs. Let me just see. Oh, oh he got 100 in about 60 balls. He was dead set knocking the, the the weakened Australian bowling attack all over the field. At the 32nd over, South Africa were 5 for 217, just chasing 372. Just 79 balls it took him. Must be one of the most inexperienced bowling attacks Australia's played for a long time though, surely? Well, that's what has hampered them in this series. I mean, their batting was poor in the last, in the second game. But other than that, nearly 300 in the first game and... A massive score, 371. You'd back yourself to defend that. But uh, the bowling, as you say, Andrew, has let them down. David Miller, 10 4 6 sixes, coming in at 5 for 217, a long way from the target. What's actually the reason, Chris, do you know that Australia's fielding such a weak bowling attack? Do we? Is it all injury-related? or is it They're resting Stark, etc., for the um, test series. As Jeff's mentioned, the, the rotation policy they've had in place for a number of years now. It's, is it just me? I've just heard that we've um, got four frontline spinners next match. They probably aren't any good. <laughs> well, that's a, that's a thing. Like, I've never well, seen an Australian squad, well, so... You've, had, you've got a Zamper, obviously, Travis Head... We can't really call him part-timer. front-line spinner, part-time bowler. Um, well, yeah, I don't know who else you'd actually bring exactly. in. Maybe Xavier Doherty, I <laughs> Max, guess. Maxwell, I guess. I mean, Maxwell, Maxwell is at the back. No, no, Maxwell's <laughs> playing uh, for Victoria at the moment, Matador Cup. So. Oh, can't let him get out of Victoria. You can't yeah. play for the Australians. <laughs> we, Isn't we, that right, Andrew? You've got to keep the Victorians close. What we did was we adopted the uh, Donald... Trump approach and we build a wall between Victoria and New South Wales so he couldn't get out. <laughs> yeah. We'll keep him under escort when we have to go over there to play. And of course South Africa coming back here for a test series to start off the summer. Then we've got Pakistan and then some one day matches with New Zealand and Sri Lanka. So who are you most looking forward to, Andrew? I always like a good stash with the Kiwis, so I think they're yeah, they're always be. great contests. Easy also, beats. <laughs> well, not these Code days. For easy beats, yeah. Not these days. Not at the moment, <laughs> no. But at one stage, but well, probably not so much for Australia though. They always tend to put up a bit of a fight against us. But also playing Sri Lanka should be pretty interesting, Chris. So <laughs> we might we might Some get along as a bit of a this year? we might get along as a bit of a team as a bit of a team sometime. All of us get to a Sri Lanka game and. Oh. Please, hear no, you, not if we lose. Hear you <laughs> pumping up their tyres. <laughs> oh, oh, no. See, see what you're like if they if they do go down. Uh, I don't know, egging, egging the producer with egg and fruit on the week after we lose, if you guys are all at the game, probably. I think that was um, a suggestion we had for Jordan in case, uh, for Jordan to do to Jeff in case Queensland lost the third game of State of Origin. I think that threat will be coming my way if I... Uh, we all go to the game and Sri Lanka somehow lose. <laughs> Possibly, but we've got to wait until February for Sri Lanka to come out here. February. It's just a short series it's as well. It's a three-match T20 series. So we've got one-dayers, we've got tests, we've got more one-dayers, and then right at the end of the summer, well, it's it's the end of the summer because otherwise she's starting to go into autumn. You've got on the February 17, it's the first T20 match. And before that, Feb 17, the one-day oh. series ends on Australia Day. And then you have to wait three weeks for the, the T20 series, which is just three games. Can you, Have you listened to this guy, Andrew? All he cares about is the bloody 2020 at the end of the summer. Uh, it just shows how <laughs> insignificant the Sri Lankan cricket team must be to us Australians. <laughs> yeah. huh? that, uh, that's what it a, is. 
Nah. Immature mind, caring only for the shortest form of the game. 40 overs and he's done because he doesn't have a memory or attention span long enough for anything longer. I got other sports to worry about, man. Hey, they're raised, it, they're raised in the bush up in Queensland, all right? Lay <laughs> off him, huh? It's not his fault. <laughs> and of course, John, you've got A-League as well kicking off this weekend and a big Sydney derby. That's always a classic. Oh, massive. Um, reports today have said they've already sold 53,000 tickets. The game's being moved <laughs> to ANZ Stadium for the game. And they said that Right now, the estimate is that it will become the highest attended regular season fixture in Sydney. So that's eclipsing NRL, AFL, cricket. Any of that, it will be the highest attended regular season fixture is the anticipation. The current record sits at oh, midway through 59,000, I think. Uh, that was set from the roosters Rabbitohs game a few years back. But they think that's going to be well in excess of that, um, in, in excess of 60,000 people. I, I just hope that the actual product put on display will be as good as that hype is. An interesting statistic too, when you think about it, that we only just played an AFL final between GWS and the Bulldogs in a, a stadium that holds about 25,000 people or thereabouts. And now we're going to have a, um, a soccer game up, up in Sydney in front of around 60. Well, that's it. It shows how big the A-League market is at the moment, and there's a massive drive at the moment. They've actually got a really clever ad campaign at the moment. So the slogan this year for the A-League is, you've got to have a team. And because they've recognised that there's a market there that supports European football exclusively or international football, but doesn't have the A-League interest. And so that's what it's about to spark. And what they've done is they've taken a young little boy, his name's Yoshi, and he got to go around oh, I've to each, seen that ad. Yeah, it's good. He went to go around each A League club, and they got to present their case to Yoshi of why you should support our team. And so every A League club's done it, and then there's currently a public vote to see who he should select, and then Yoshi's going to pick a team for himself because he's got to have a team. So Yoshi, Yoshi doesn't get burned by a flare or anything when he comes to a victory game, does he? <laughs> not at all. Not at all. He doesn't doesn't have to go work in the paddock with the sheep in Queen, in uh, New Zealand. That's all right. Yeah, that was close. Yeah. No, he doesn't. You almost have... had a lawsuit on your hands. What? what? <laughs> you can see me behind the uh, banana leaf that's in uh, draped over you permanently, can you, Mr. <laughs> Queensland? There's still Moving a bit on, of guys. hostility coming through after that little replay of the end of the match <laughs> we had there, the State of Origin affair earlier, isn't it? Sorry, who's the man who brought two bananas into the studio for this recording? Well, <laughs> I was going to leave that to the end, but. For those listeners listening at home, uh, it's banana bread. Mr. Dixon Fox's uh, birthday tomorrow. <laughs> and what more suitable uh, birthday present could we get for him than two ripe bananas and a slice of banana bread? <laughs> You're welcome. For the banana bender. Well, we do also have some birthday cake for him, though. That's for, us. that's for us, not for him. <laughs> that's a no, Cronulla Premiership a cake, cake, isn't it? It's a Cronulla <laughs> celebration cake. About approximately two hours before this recording started, I did go to a shop and I did buy two bananas. So I'm just going to have to take on four bananas. Is that right? Double Make up it my into supply. A smoothie, a banana but cake. Well, that's that's, that's just called a morning snack in Queensland. It's Peter Siddle. <laughs> it's a stuff to his days. No, he's, he's gone. He's diet. out because of the rotation policy. <laughs> and because he ate too many bananas, he couldn't move. Are we going to do the same with Jeff when he leaves? Rotation policy? Out you go. Sorry. Next in. I'll have to <laughs> find someone else from Queensland. Send your applications too. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, just before we wrap up, guys, I got some tips for the weekend. So, start off, I think a um, bit of an ambitious tip because it's not a major thing. Not really the world's media attention focusing on it, but I've got 
Queensland as a potential tip for the uh, Matador Barbecue Cup. And then I've got uh, Brisbane Roll take a win at home against the victory to start off the A-League. And then the day after, over two and a half goals in Melbourne victory and Wellington Phoenix. Those teams always like a high-scoring game. Yeah, I'm just going to throw a prediction out there. I think the A-League winners this year, the team to watch is Perth Glory. Every team has strong attacks this year. Look at Victory, look at City with Tim Cale acquisition. You look at Perth Glory as well with Adam Taggart now brought in with Andy Kerr. But I think Glory have recruited the best in the defensive department. And I think that's where they're going to win a lot of their matches this year through the central midfield postings of Roston Griffiths and Reese Williams and also at the back. So that's my tip for the entire A-League season is Perth Glory. And that's not just a sentimental tip. Yes, you are talking to a guy there who does have a slight vested interest being a Perth Gorey representative himself, but I do pay your tip as valid there because, I mean, towards the end of last season, they really went on a scoring rampage. So you're saying they've got really good defence this year and last year they showed they can definitely pack it up in attack when they want to. So not a bad tip there from uh, Mr. Franken. Does anyone else have any ideas for weekend sport? Anything they might even be just looking forward to before we wrap up? Well, the Uh, Brisbane Raw, they get a debut with a new jersey. They've actually got a new... They've got the traditional orange that is the Brisbane Raw, but they've also got a Maroons shirt this year trying to cash in. Looks horrible. Looks disgusting. And I'm with you. It looks (laughs) horrible. I hope they only wear it once or twice. But what gets me is that... The maroon is a Queensland colour. It's 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 for the Brisbane Raw. And granted, it's the only team currently in Queensland, but the CEO of the A-League, so David what, Gallup, what you're just saying suggests, is it's sacrilege. Uh, I don't know what that means, but basically, <laughs> David Gallup suggested another two teams coming into the A-League very soon, which might make another team in Queensland very soon. We've had two failed attempts. Yeah. <laughs> certainly has been, but maroon for a city team, no, thank you. I was interested, actually, with David Gallup saying that there'd be a couple of teams coming in soon, but it, there weren't any specifics. And I, and I also heard that it's partly going to do be, be to do with the television rights for the next lot. Yeah, there's been a massive what meeting, massive push within the media and with at the local grassroots level for, first of all, new teams, but more in particular, a promotion relegation system. Because of the success of the FFA Cup and the success of teams like uh, Green Gully, Redlands defeating Canberra Olympic. Yep, exactly. Matching Canberra in the running for that actually. That's it. Yeah. For the matching it with the A League boys, and there seems to be this notion that there's a recycling of players because there's such a small league and such a small professional environment. And so it's always been a pressing issue. And I think that's what David Gallup was addressing. That yes, it's in our plans. Yes, we want to expand, but not yet. Thanks, guys. Enjoy the rest of your birthday, Mr. Dickinson Fox. That's all we have for this week. And thank you all as well for coming on, Jordan Franken. But for now, it's good night.